Major League Baseball. This is the Nosebleeds Podcast on WFUV Sports. What a joy it is, guys, to hear that intro again. It's been a long time coming, but we're finally back here on Nosebleeds after a long offseason, way too long of an offseason with a lockout, a ton in between. I'm Ryan Gregware, joined with Andrew Glotta. Mike Calamari, and guys, we have a ton to talk about, essentially an off-season recap, but before we get into all that, how are you guys doing today? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm so excited to come on this podcast and talk baseball. It's kind of surreal where we were, I think it was about three, four weeks ago, we were doing an emergency yeah. live episode, and that was the last time we had a Nosebleeds episode, and to think we actually have baseball, I was watching the Yankee Spring training earlier today, and... Now we got regular season games around the corner, so I'm so excited to hop on the nosebleeds for the first time as we uh, near this regular season. Yeah, I mean, the weather, not great out. No. It's like 40 degrees here in New York. Obviously no. not baseball weather. And watching but... the spring training games while the sun's pouring in. And exactly. These Phillies hurts, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, as a Mets fan, you get to see DeGrom and Scherzer pitch piggyback on Sunday. That was obviously awesome. I, this is the most excited I've ever been for a baseball season, so I just cannot wait for uh, April 7th. And I think having that, you know, 99-day lockout really put into perspective how much we need baseball. At least I know us three particularly, being the huge fans we are. And let's get into what's happened since then. You talked about, Mike, the last time we talked was before they came to a deal. You know, we've talked about all of that encompassing. So let's get into the actual baseball. And I think that's something I'm happy to talk about. Not, you know, the semantics, not ownership versus players. So let's start with the Yankees. Me and you, Mike, we're going to cover the Yankees this year. They had an eventful offseason. I think it's one when you look at it from big picture, you're probably disappointed. They don't get the big fish. They don't really sign anyone on the free agent market. They re-sign Anthony Rizzo. They make the trade. Gary Sanchez, Gio Rochella, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, Josh Donaldson, Ben Wortvit. So, you know, an up-and-down offseason, I think, depending on your angle, you have different opinions on it. Curious what you think now as we approach the regular season. Yeah, so I'm definitely excited to start talking about some baseball, the actual players. And when I look at the players the Yankees have on their roster now, it feels a little odd based on what they thought they were going to get heading into this season and what they actually got. I think a lot of us Yankee fans expected the big-name signing, whether that was Carlos Correa maybe a Seager, a Trevor Story, one of those big-name shortstops. You don't get any of them. Instead, you get Josh Donaldson, Isaiah Kiner-Falafe, and uh, you kind of make the move maybe to put Kiner-Falafe as a shortstop, maybe a catcher, all-around utility player. I don't understand the move to get Josh Donaldson. You take on that contract. He's going up there in age. And then if you look at what the Twins do, getting Gary Sanchez, getting Gio Urshela, and then freeing up the cap space to get Carlos Correa, I was like, why couldn't the Yankees have done that? So a very peculiar offseason. I'm mixed, and I want to see the product on the field. I knew a change needed to happen. That was 100% a certainty. 
based on last year. It was not the right group of guys. You needed to make a move around some pieces to make it work. I'm just not sure this is the one, and they're going to have to prove me wrong to, uh, come April 7th. I mean, you're. I mean, if you're a Yankees fan, what was it? It was a Boone or Cashman who said they really needed to shake up the roster because they were falling behind the rest of the Cashman. AL. It was yeah, Cashman. I, Boone was well, they too didn't do much that. of a. <laughs> they didn't do that. Coach. I mean, they didn't shake up the roster enough, especially when you have these shortstops out here or middle infielders, third basemen. Because, like, why couldn't the Yankees do what the Red Sox did and they sign a guy like Trevor Story? He's probably going to play third, or we'll see. Obviously, what they do with Bogarts and stuff. But you see, the AL East get a lot better. With the Blue Jays, Red Sox, you see the Yankees. They got a little better, maybe. They're you know you talk about their payroll going up. I think again, I think that's what Cashman. It's Boone the said. highest in yeah Yankees history. history. But the product on the field, I don't know if that's going to yeah. be. You know, you're going to see that. You know, and it's, it's something that the Yankees that Donaldson moved remind me a lot of what the Mets used to do. That that's all I'll say. It's to get the aging guy that had a lot of success five years ago. Like Josh Donaldson in 2015 would have been a great move. But Josh Donaldson now, I don't know. I, I just don't see it, especially when you had a guy like Story or Seager or Correa out there. It, I, I don't know. I, I expected the Yankees to get one of those big shortstops, and they come up empty-handed. And, and I did too. And here's what I'll say. You you posed, do you think they got better? I truly believe I think, like I think, Mike, you were kind of alluding to too, they got better. It's just they didn't get how better enough. It's how much, yeah. And You know the Rays are going to be good. Blue Jays got better. Blue Red Jays, Sox got better. Yeah. It's going to be a tough division. Now, now, the thing I'll say about Josh Donaldson, I'm kind of excited. He would have been third on the team in you know WRC Plus last year. This wasn't a great lineup. He's a guy, two years, $50 million on the deal. He's 36, so there are definitely concerns. There are 100% are concerns, but if he's in the lineup, he's going to hit. Obviously, you talked about the shortstop market. The Yankees believed at the end of the day that Anthony Volpe, Oswaldo Peraza, these kids they have in the farm system will be the real deal. So they went short-term with Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, a guy who's a great defender. Mike mentioned he can play all over the place, but he's never had an OPS above 700. You know, he, he doesn't offer you many dimensions as a hitter. He's a good contact guy, gets singles, but he, he's not going to walk. He's not going to do, I think, a lot of the things the Yankees try to do, and maybe this balance in the lineup can be a good thing. But it's something they're going to have to live with, I think, going cheap because you can say they took on Donaldson's contract. You can say it's the highest payroll in Yankees history. But the big guys were out there. The shortstop class was historic this offseason, and the Yankees, they stayed put for whatever reason. Yeah, the shortstop market was the prime time for the Yankees to go out to get the most needed position on the team, a shortstop. I know Volpe, he's coming up in the minors. But if you look at the deal Carlos Creo gets, three years, $105 million, I mean, that's the Yankees' pitch-perfect deal, Ryan. We talked about this. If the Yankees could have gotten a deal with Carlos Correa, you want three years high AAV, but instead they free up the cap for the Twins to do that, yeah. and I just look at Cashman getting outclassed when I see And that. also Correa, I think he's opt-outs too. After, every year. Every year, so perfect for the Yankees, obviously, too. I don't know. It just feels like the Yankees, their Achilles heel has always been clutch hitting in the postseason, and it's been pitching, and you pitching – Look, they were, I think, top 10 in ERA last Very year. Very good pitching so, last season. Third so, in the AL, yeah. The team obviously still has question marks, but look, you have Cole. I, I don't think you're as worried about, to me, the lineup clutch hitting in the postseason. That's what it's going to come down to. It always is coming down to that for the Yankees. Now, maybe this will be the year they finally get it done. To me, there's no doubt that this team should be right in you know, that postseason conversation. We'll see. The division's obviously really hard, but with the expanded postseason, they should definitely be right there. It's can they get it done in the postseason time after time they haven't? 
I don't think that they made that splash move to do that. I think the same problems are there, but you're going to probably have the same cast of characters this time, just really need to step up. Mike made a good point of with the Correa contract because I could have lived with the Yankees not going 10 for 350 with Correa. It makes sense. They have to pay Aaron Judge. That looks like it's coming together. That could really make this offseason a lot better, I think, from the Yankees' perspective. But the three years with the opt-outs, that's the number one deal. No one thought that was going to happen to Correa, too. It's not like that was ever floated on the table November, December, even a month ago. It's ended up what happening, and it was definitely – a deal the Yankees could have made. Andrew, you mentioned the clutch hitting in the postseason. Last year, it was just the flat-out hitting. They, yeah, you know, yeah. Andrew Velasquez is starting playoff games. Tyler Wade, huge at-bats. Guys that the New York Yankees, with how much they spend, how much they invest, the Bronx Bombers, we used to call them. I don't think as of last year you could have really called them that. That's what needed to really flip, and I think you can't make the argument the, the lineup is now insanely better it's probably going to come down to how good the pitching is depending where they line up if they're in the playoffs and it's going to come down to timely hitting as well you're going to be able to you know knocking guys and running scoring position you mentioned how their postseason hitting struggles have been a thing with the Yankees you're going to have to see it come September come October if they get there that's really going to be a thing I'm looking out for but another thing I want to mention I've never been someone who's taken a lot of stock in right-handed hitters versus left-handed hitters spreading them out through your lineup we've seen the Toronto Blue Jays probably the most right-handed heavy hitter lineup yes. and they rake so I don't take a lot of stock in it but the Yankees were looking for a lefty hitter I think ever since it was like all the fans were killing them on social media you have the short porch you have no left hand hitters they get Gallo it's still not enough. Why don't you get Corey Seager? He's the perfect left-handed hitter, in my opinion, that can play shortstop. I know you have Volpe, and Seager is probably looking for a longer-term deal uh, during that offseason, but I'm not sold on Glaber Torres. You have such a heavy right-handed hitters in those infield, and then you bring in Donaldson, another right-handed hitter, to just add to that, and then you have no choice at that point to trade Luke Voigt, who I think had a lot of potential. I know he had injury problems, but he was a great bat for you when he was healthy. I mean, he's a guy that led the MLB in home yes. runs just in 2020. I know it was a shortened season, but that was just a, a piece of what he could have been. And I wasn't ready to give up on that guy. But when you take Donaldson in, it almost ended the Luke Voigt era in New York. You bring in Rizzo, the left-handed bat, but Voigt's a better hitter than Rizzo, that's for sure. And you got the aging Donaldson. Maybe this, this lineup's a little better than last year. You lose uh, Gary Sanchez, who... Was a good hitting catcher, but, you know, I, I think Higashioka looks good. Falafa, if he plays catcher a little bit, he could be good. But in my opinion, it's not good enough. And there are moves that, in my head, Cashman could have made. Maybe they weren't open at the time, but I'm still a little disappointed in the kind of offseason the Yankees have. I think disappointed's the right word. I feel like Seager was the guy. More so, I mean, Correa, I think the contract was better, but Seager's your guy. And when were the New York Yankees ever worried about prospects? And that just feels like, I mean, for forever I know, it's been, we're going to go out, we're going to feel the best team now, we're not going to worry about two years down the line, a year down the line, and prospects, they are the biggest, I mean, unless you're down there I, watching I them every the, day. the Yanks, like, sent Jesus Montero, I think, for, for Pineda, Pineda yeah. and everyone was flipping out because, like, they thought Montero was going to be the next yeah, three months, and, and yeah. he's nowhere now, Look, so, yeah. As a Mets fan, I, Med Rosario, perfect example, I remember him, best prospect in the league, I mean, I don't even know where, he, I think he's playing center field for the for the Guardians right now. I will say, Volpe is a special case, I just think, seeing the numbers he's put up in low A But then you could always A. move Seager around, or... 
you know, that, we'll, be well that's around. my like, point. It's, um, it's a good problem. Seager to have. can play second, and yeah. uh, I'm not worried about that. So it's like, I don't know, the whole thing with Steinbrenner, what he's saying, he said he wasn't worried about Steve Cohen spending. He thinks it's like good for him, like all that stuff. It's just not the Steinbrenner way. It's not George, as George wouldn't do that. So if I'm the Yankees, like I, I, if I was a Yankee fan, I'd feel disappointed for sure. And it's like, you know, we'll have to see how it, you know, comes together on the field. And I know we we're talking earlier, obviously, championships aren't won in December, aren't won in whatever I guess would be February because of the lockout. <laughs> but, you know, that, we're just going to have to see what happens on the field. I mean, this is a good team. You obviously have the star players. You have Stanton, you have Judge, especially if they can lock up Judge long term. I think that would be, you know, kind of a good note going into the season. So we'll see how that plays out. But this Yankee team, it's it's, it's going to come down to September probably, obviously in October as well. And this team, have they gotten that much better for the teams like the Red Sox, Blue Jays, you know, all these teams and beyond the AL East? I, I don't think so, but, you know, what? we'll have to see once they start playing. I, I think, you know, just to wrap up on the Yankees, you look into it, we're disappointed because the expectations should be higher. Like, they did spend money, and that's why it's frustrating. It just wasn't where anyone wanted, wasn't where anyone thought. Like, if you told me before the year the biggest money acquisition would be Josh Donaldson, you would think that was crazy. You would give it an F. And obviously you can spin zone a little bit, and he's still a good hitter and all things like that. But you have to be, I think, disappointed – is a good way to put it. And before we end on the Yankees, I want to ask you guys this because I look into this year. I think there's so many different guys you can list as an X factor for this team. So one guy where you point to and you say the Yankees' success will be you know prevalent on X players' production. Michael, start with you. Who is that player in your eyes? This is a tough one. Putting you on the spot a little bit. No, no, no. I, I've got a guy. I was between two guys. I think there's a lot of ways you can go with this, but I'm going with Glaber Torres. That was my guy. And because of the drop in power, we saw him. This is a guy that not too long ago, 2019, he had 38 homers, 90 RBIs. You flash forward to 2021, and only 15 less at-bats or somewhere around there. He has nine home runs, 51 RBIs. So the power drop-off from him was so much. I think a lot of that was the pressure he had to be uh, was put on him to play shortstop, and he did not do a great job there. You move him to second at the end of the season, start hitting a little better. If the Yankees want to win games, they're going to need Glaber Torres to swing the bat well because his glove's not good enough to keep him in the lineup. So for him to be an everyday guy, he's going to have to swing the bat well, and he's going to have to do it for power. He's a guy that we've seen hit for power in the past, and we're going to have to see it again in 2022 if the Yankees want to be contenders. But, Ryan, so many ways you can go with that question. Yeah, I mean, look, you guys will know better than me, but I mean, DJ LeMahieu last year only hitting 270 after hitting. That know, was my. That was. My that was literally. Guy. I have two guys. Yeah, it, and I think the Yankees they need. They basically needed a DJ LeMahieu forever. They need a guy that can drive in runners, uh, you know, in scoring position, that type of stuff. So I think, look, he's going to have to be that guy for the Yankees this year. Obviously, the stats show before last year that he should be a perennial 300 hitter, but you know, we'll see how he bounced back. And then on the mound, Garrett Cole, I think. Especially when you have DeGrom and Scherzer across town, you know, he has to pitch at that level. And you obviously paid him to pitch at that level. And I think postseason is kind of where I'm looking at here. Yeah, last wild card last game, wild card game you know, you, you didn't pay him that much money to throw up a dud like that. And I, I think especially when you look at the Yankees, they're going to need a big game pitcher. They're going to need that guy. Cole has to be it. And he's the guy that, yes, it's great that. You know, he, he was still, I mean, obviously phenomenal, but he has to be at that next level, that elite level of those top five range. And if he's not there, I think this Yankee rotation, as much as they were top 10 last year and they definitely, I think, look pretty solid, they could become a worry. So I like the direction both you guys took for the hitters. I had Glaber Torres and DJ LeMayu, so, you know, perfect there. Pitching, I want to go Jamison Tyone. 
because Garrett Cole, obviously you need him to succeed, but I truly am not worried about him. I'm not. Oh, no, not for the sticky stuff? No. He okay. he had phenomenal starts after that. It's clear he was hurt down the stretch last year. I look, you know, deeper into the rotation, that 2-3 range. Jamison Tyone, because you need what he was from June on last year, three two five ERA. From that point, he gets hurt. He battles in game 162 on a broken ankle, gives you four shutout innings. I think you need this rotation beyond Cole to be solidified. You have Jordan Montgomery. Rock solid. I've been, you know, on the record saying I think the pitching will be the thing that carries the Yankees, and he's the guy I see as that guy who has to step up and be what he was from June on when he was player of the month. I want to add one more pitcher because we went hitter heavy at least to start. This is a guy who I don't think needs to be play well in order for the Yankees to be a postseason contender, but who can elevate the Yankees to the top of the AL East? That's Luis Severino. Yep. If he can find his way back, Just be to healthy. That, 2017-2018 self when he was top 10 in Cy Young's both years. He had a 19-8 and record in 2018, the year before 2.98 ERA. He has a history of pitching some you know great baseball games, but injuries have been the problem with him. If he can stay healthy and then execute on the mound, he, he's an X-factor kind of guy yes, where he like elevates that. your pitching staff from being you know on the upper half of the AL to the top half. And you saw last year he came back and was a weapon out of the pen, multi-inning yep. guy, so he's stretched out. He's supposedly healthy. Big year in store for him. But let's shift over, Andrew, to your Mets because I know you're excited to talk oh, about yeah. them. <laughs> so I kind of just want to give you the floor here and let you recap what your Mets and Steve Cohen, your owner, did this offseason. Uh, Uncle Stevie and, uh, you know, what the, what Billy Epler did and, and this team. I mean, this is the perfect offseason as a Mets fan. Now, we'll see if it comes together on the field, but they literally did everything I wanted them to do. I mean, you get the ace pitcher to go with Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer with probably the best one-two punch since Johnson and Schilling back in 2001 with uh, the Diamondbacks, and we all know what that team did winning a World Series. So, yep. look, uh, you look at that rotation, it's the best in baseball undoubtedly right now. Just hopefully they stay healthy. You know, as a Mets fan, you pray every day. You go out, you get Starling Marte, who's a guy that Mets fans have wanted for years. Now, you know, they get him, which to me, he's a guy that not only lengthens your lineup, but will play a good outfield. They're kind of figuring out if he'll play center or Brandon Nimmo will play center, but still, you know, a plus outfielder out there. I think especially if he played corner outfield, great arm, stuff like that for him. And then and then you get Mark Hanna and Eduardo Escobar on top of that, which, you know, that's all before the, the lockout. And that was just amazing. Then they come after the lockout. You get Chris Bassett, who will slot in as their number three starter, was an all-star last year with the A's. They don't you know, give up too, too much. You know, I think one JT Ginn's kind of your main uh, prospect there, but that's, I'm not worried about at all. And then you get Adam Adovino, old friend of the Yankees, to, you know, round out that panel like a little enemy, bit. Though. Yeah, <laughs> more like, yeah. Uh, and then also Chasen Shreve, who also, I believe, pitched for the yes. Yankees too. Yeah, he pitched for the Mets as well uh, in 2020, had a good season. So, look, this offseason as a Mets fan was perfect for me. Uh, Uncle Stevie, at, at the beginning of the offseason, when they didn't get Steven Matz, I remember everyone was saying how this guy, you know, is just being someone has a ton of money, is spoiled, and, you know, obviously talked about the, the Steven Matz's agent, how he was pissed off about that. And then ever since then, he's just been, you know, um, better than what I could have dreamt up. The Max Scherzer thing, I didn't even think was going to be possible. Uh, and the Mets go out and, you know, really make that big move to just put everything on the table and now going into this season, you have a team that should compete for the NL East, should be a, a definite playoff team. And I, I think this team was built for the playoffs. I don't know. We'll have to see what happens if they get there. Injuries are always a problem with this team. But, 
you know, you look at the top two guys. I mean, if you get into a five game series with Degrom and Scherzer at your top, it's it's gonna be a, they're gonna be a tough out. Yeah, I mean, the Mets killer offseason. You get Max Scherzer, and he's just a different type of pitcher. He's on another level. You look at someone like Marcus Stroman, who probably had one of the best years of his career. A three hundred two ERA, ten and thirteen, but he couldn't win you a game like Max Scherzer can win you a game. And to bring in a guy like Max Scherzer as your number two starting pitcher, and you lose Marcus Stroman, but you still develop the back end of that rotation to make it one of the best in baseball. Uh, in addition to those top two guys, so they're, they're going to be able to win games with their starting pitching, but that's never been the question with the Mets. It's you got to think about the hitting. Is oh. the hitting going to be able to do the job when it's not the ground on the mound, when it's not Scherzer on the mound? Are you going to be able to win those games with your bats? And it starts and it ends with Francisco oh, Lindor. Yeah. This yeah. is a guy who's been the MVP voting four times through his career, four-time All-Star. We know what he can do on the defensive side. We know what he can do with his glove, but... You cannot be paid the amount of money he's paid and hit 230. I know he had 20 homers, but he had some months where it was like a hole was in his bat, and that's where the Mets are going to have to figure out their problems. Can they get Lindor back to the shape he was with the formerly known as Indians, now the Guardians? Can they get him to where he's a perennial MVP candidate? And that's when they're going to really be winning games. We know how good that starting pitching is. We know they can win with DeGrom and Scherzer on the mound. Are they going to be able to win those other games where it's going to come down to the bats? It says everything about Steve Cohen that they implemented a tax, basically, to prevent him from just continuing to spend and spend and spend. He's richer than all the other owners, and he's shown he does not care about spending money. I think that's where Andrew is a fan. You said more than you could have imagined. You think about last offseason, I know, like, Trevor Bauer spurning you. I know a ton of stuff's happened since then, but you get the sense, oh, is this going to be the similar thing? Obviously, you have GM fiasco, all that stuff, but he's done a great job of kind of calming that storm. And what he's done for the lineup, I want to get into pitching in a minute here, but this was a lineup last year. It just, frankly, would not have got it done if they <laughs> ran it back. You needed an overall, and you got it. Starlin Marte, Eduardo Escobar. Mark Cannon's a guy I'm a huge fan of. For the deal, you got two for 26. He's a guy who had a two-and-a-half war, 111 OPS+. plus. You can plug him and play him and left. First, you know, versatility that he provides, that is what you just get from him. And the two for 26, I think, is huge. So to be able to reshape that lineup, Robbie Cano, don't you know, coming back, had the 900 OPS in the, you know, shortened year. Obviously, he's coming off the steroid suspension. He's 39. Huge question mark there, but we were talking before the show. I expect him to have at least an above-average year. You get the DH to kind of bail it out, and I look at this lineup. The pitching I, I said I want to get into in a minute here, but I look at this lineup, Andrew. I don't see the holes I saw last year. I think from top to bottom, they got a lot more competitively. You have to work now to get one through nine out. For me, it's it's two things. One, this team last year was so bad with runners in scoring position. And Historically. It, it, it was guys like Lindor, McNeil, Alonzo. The guys that were here are part of this core. Those are the guys that are going to have to get better. Like, Mike, I completely agree with the Lindor. Like, this team will go, this offense will go as far as Lindor takes them. I, I, I do think that. And he can't hit 230 again. You're paying him so much money. You're paying him... Like, really, one of the top shortstops in baseball, $350 million, whatever much they're paying him. He needs to be at that level, and if he's not, then that's it's a huge, huge problem. You talk about Jeff McNeil, all-star in 2019. He's a guy that was hit 300 like three years in a row, then only hits 250 last year. Like, that cannot happen again. Kind of like Derek Labor Torres in a way, I feel like. Yeah, so it's like, you know, it, it's those things that just really killed the Mets. And they bring in 
a, a guy like Canna, who gets on base a ton, is like, you know, the sabermetrics dream, yes. dream guy. And then you bring in Aguado Escobar, who's like a professional hitter. Not amazing, but is a good role player. Like, that's the one area where maybe I would have tried to upgrade a little more and I wouldn't have went after Escobar. I would have went after a guy like Chris, Chris Bryant. Bryant. Yep. But, you know, it, it is what it is. They have two third-base prospects, so I, I guess their hope is like one of them works out. Both of them, you have one in double-A, one in triple-A in Mark Vientos and Brett Beatty. So I, I guess that's the hope. But, you know, I, I feel like this lineup – they should be better, and you know if they're that bad like they were last year in runners in scoring position, I'll be pulling my hair out because that's the most <laughs> frustrating part of baseball when your team is getting runners on base and you just cannot drive them home. Yeah, I think there's a, a lot of question marks uh, with this uh, with this Mets offense. Obviously, knocking in runners in scoring position, probably one of the top. We saw that in 2020. They led the league in average that year. Oh, and just this is a never. This is like. Since I've been a Mets fan, they've been yes. bad with runners in scoring position. It's not new. <laughs> but outside of that, for me, I am a very batting average guy. I don't believe in, you know, the analytics as far as they go with homers. But there's still a lot to look at with teams that win and teams that plays highly in their division. They hit the long ball well. This is the Mets team that was 25th in the MLB in home runs last season. The teams behind them, the Rangers, the Royals, the Marlins, the Diamondbacks, and the Pirates. Yuck. And the teams ahead of them, the Tigers, Padres, kind of an outlier at 23, but then the Nationals, the Rockies. So they're in the midst of with a lot of teams that lack power, and all those teams are Missed really— the playoffs. Yeah, they're all, they're all not good baseball teams. So, And I'm not sure if the Mets solved that problem in the offseason. I think a lot of their signings kind of were already pieces they had. I know you welcome back Cano. Maybe he adds a little bit of power. You get the DH spot, maybe Dom Smith— can uh, go in there. Alonzo going to take more days off and play a DH. So I like the DH opening up for them, but I still don't love how low they rank on the homer side of things. And I think that's something to kind of worry about if you're the Mets because Marte, not a homer guy. Canna, not really a homer guy. They didn't really bring in that power bat I think they might have needed. So that's outside of Lindor. My other question with this Mets lineup, are they going to be able to hit the homers to win them games? I, look, the, the the home runs it worries me. Like that's to me the biggest part of this lineup. That you could talk about runners in scoring position too, but the home runs right now to me you need Lindor to be twenty five to thirty home runs. Canna is kind of like a twenty five home run guy. I could see him kind of hovering around there, but he'll probably hit two thirty. But his on base percentage is somehow three eighty. I don't know. Like, I feel again, like without a, Alonso though, this has there's not as like is there a real true power bat? No, maybe Alonso, I'm just spoiling. I mean, with the Alonso, it's like a bunch he's, of forty guys. He hit thirty five. Alonso last year in twenty twenty, I think he hit like fifteen. He was up there with the NL leaders, and then he hit fifty three in twenty nineteen. So you're hoping that he's going to be right around forty, and you know you probably have a few. You know, I I, I think the Yankees look they're not a, as good as a power team as the Yankees are. Obviously not. I don't think that's how you're going to win games. But you should have a good amount of 20 to 30 home run guys. I think McNeil could be a 20 home run guy. You know, you look at this lineup. Look, they're more like just average hitting lineup. That's kind of how they're built. But I I think how the Mets feel is that, look, Alonzo, back-to-back home run derby champ. He's going to hopefully provide you the long ball. And you add a Canna, who's more of a, you know, 25 home run guy. Marte, not a home run guy, but he's I think he's a good glue piece for this team. So, Look, if they're not going to be good, I could see the home runs being a very big problem. And the the one thing I will say that does help the Mets a lot, in addition to the DH, you expand the playoffs now and you allow yeah. two more teams to get in. The Mets sneak in. Let's say they sneak into the back end of the playoffs. That no one will want to play them. I mean, 
they've got the best one-two punch in baseball. That rotation is going to will them to wins in the playoffs where the bats can disappear and it's just yeah. going to be pitcher versus pitcher and who wants to play the Mets, as you said. I love the point we're making about how they are built for the playoffs, but my concern on the pitching end, I've alluded to, wanted to talk about that, it's the back end. Uh, I think you have to look at it, the best one-two in debatably the top five in MLB history. Bassett, fantastic move, but I look at the 4-5 and I am concerned. Taiwan Walker ended the year 0-8 with a 7 ERA after the All-Star break. Carlos Correa, uh, Carlos Carrasco, excuse me, <laughs> is still great in the, pitcher, in the mind pitcher. there. A six ERA last year. Uh, you know, McGill is a guy I think should start. I don't know, Andrew, obviously as much as you, what they're looking at there. But that back end, that's two times in the week. If you play a team and you have those guys lining up, you could just lose two out of three without even getting your ace on the mound. So I get the point in the playoffs. They are frightening. But this back end, I believe, still needs serious work. When you factor in the bullpen, I don't know if they upgraded enough in the offseason. Chase and Treve, the only lefty reliever, yeah. if I'm not mistaking that. I would not trust that in a lefty-lefty you know, matchup there. He's solid, but you want more from your lefty specialist. I look at the back end. I look at the bullpen a little bit. Is this area you're concerned about as well, or do you think just those top three guys with the lineup will be enough? I think that the back of the rotation, I don't think it's as bad as people are. Like, Tywon Walker was an all-star before, and he's a guy that hit a wall. Like, he definitely hit a wall. Hasn't pitched over, like, before this year, hasn't pitched over, like, 100 innings just because of injuries and the 2020 shortened season. Because in 2020, he pitched 53 innings, didn't pitch in 2019 because of injury. 2018, he only pitched 13 innings. And then 2017 was his last time he hit 150. So he hit a wall through, you know, at the end of the year. And he's a guy that I don't know if he's going to be an all-star. Like, I don't think he'll be at that level, but I think he'll be more of a steady pitcher. Carrasco, he's the main to me. Like, I could definitely see him kind of being the sour guy, and he could be the odd man out with a guy like McGill coming in. I mean, you do have six solid starters. You have David Peterson, who was hurt last year, coming back, and he's going to start in the bullpen as another lefty, I'm assuming, at this point. That's probably what they're thinking. Uh, but he's another guy of injury strike. So I think they're pretty deep in the rotation. The bullpen is probably, you know, an area of some concern. Edwin Diaz, I think, you know, everyone's going to talk about his blown blown saves and his problems with that, but he's pretty solid. I, I'm I'm an Edwin Diaz guy. Okay. So, so you know, for me, that's kind of – I'm happy with him as a closer. I think his stuff is so, so dirty. Do you like that, uh, that walk-in song? Oh, that, that's the reason I like it. Like, <laughs> the, the, I don't know what happened in 2020 or 2019 – that was the first year they had yeah. him, and he had like like a six ERA. He didn't have the walk up music, but he had it in Seattle. So I don't know <laughs> those who told are, him. Those are the stats that matter. Oh yeah, and then twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, he has like a two a combined like two five ERA. So like something happens where he's just pumped up by that music. I love the music; it gets me pumped up. So I'm an Edwin Diaz guy, and you look at past past him, Seth Lugo is solid. I'm pretty you know just confident with him. Could be a multi inning guy, kind of a flex seven eight inning guy. I think Adam Onovino kind of taking Jerry's familiar spot as like your seventh inning guy, sixth inning guy. I think that's, you know, a good spot to slate him in. And then Trevor May, who they signed last year, he's a guy that had a solid year in 2021. And I expect him to come back, you know, play a you know pretty pivotal role. You know, their bullpen, they don't have that main guy outside of Diaz like that, you know, name. But they should be pretty solid at the deadline if you're in it. Like, I definitely think the Mets probably should go after someone. But for now, I think, you know, I'm not too, too worried about the pitching. To me, it's all about the hitting. It's all about to see what Lindor can do. It's all about to see if Jeff McNeil can bounce back, if Dom Smith can bounce back, if J.D. Davis can bounce back. 
I'm kind of happy that they didn't bring back Michael Conforto, who's still a free agent. So we'll kind of he's kind of been the odd man out in this whole free agency. Yes, I don't know where he's going to go. He's a Boris guy. We all know how much he likes to you know hold out for his clients. I do not want to re-sign him. I'm kind of happy to let him walk a guy that is just so so sporadic. So like I I think this team. When you look at it, they're probably going to be two things. It's going to be can DeGrom and Scherzer stay healthy, and it's can this offense be consistent, just average, and they just can't go through those spurts where they can't score any runs. Yeah, I will say this about the back end of the rotation. Adding Scherzer helps more than you think because you're going to get more longevity out of your top two guys, and you're going to be able to save the bullpen for those latter half games. So you're only going to need to find a pitcher to take you four or five innings, and then you can bring in your best arms to help take care of it because – Realistically, when DeGrom's on, I don't know if he's taken out. He's probably going at least six or seven. And same thing with Scherzer, both them capabilities of going the distance. So you add those, you have those two top guys. DeGrom's hopefully healthy this year. Scherzer, you bring in now, and you're not, you know, using your bullpen every single time a starting pitcher can't go past five. You hope that's not going to be a problem with the top two guys. You only have to really worry about it for Walker Carrasco and really the bottom half of the rotation. And listen, if you can be a fourth or fifth starter and take your team five innings, that's good enough for the MLB. And I think the Mets can figure that out. If it's not Walker and Carrasco, I think they're going to have the pieces to at least take it that take get it four innings. Give me five innings, and I think they'll be able to do that. For me, it's the hitting. That's the thing I'm worried about. Before, Ryan, sorry to cut you off there, but they have four all-stars from last year in the rotation. DeGrom, Scherzer, Bassett, and Walker. It's just, four all-stars. It's just the ending of the season that leaves such a sour taste. It does, for sure. Uh, but, you know, this rotation, you can't be worried about it. Like, the, what they have done to add Bassett, maybe before Bassett, I can see the concern. But when you have seven legit starters that have pitched a successful MLB season or multiple seasons, like, you got to feel pretty confident. When you look around the league and you see all these teams with question marks within the NL East, you know, out of the NL East, I mean, you, you can nitpick. Obviously, everyone can nitpick, but this rotations it's for real. We've been talking a lot about Max Scherzer, and I want to shift here to kind of our last segment because we've been very heavy on the local teams, but there is an offseason, too, with, you know, 28 other clubs. But let's start with Scherzer, kind of going to rank the top six, seven free agent contracts here just based on team fit, you know, years, salary, age, factoring in everything, our own grades. So let's start with Max Scherzer, three for 130. We've talked about him a lot, so we can kind of just go quicker on him. I'll, you know, start us off here. I'm going to go A- minus on this one. The thing that's holding me back from the A is just the dead arm at the end of last year. I get a little nervous, 37-year-old pitcher, dead arm in the playoffs. That is the one concern to hold us from an A, but I still, at the end of the day, would be surprised if Max Scherzer was not dealing as the best number two in baseball. For me, it's not about what we saw from Scherzer at the end of the season. He's an A-plus player, in my opinion. I'm giving him an A-minus because this is a win-now move. He's oh, 37, yeah. two years, highest AVV in all time, I think, for the Scherzer contract. Yeah, biggest of all time. So you really need to capitalize on the signing. If the Mets miss out on the playoffs this year, or if they only, you know, let's say, make it past the wild card round if they don't win their division, then for me, it's a loss on the signing, and that's what's holding it back from giving it any higher ranking, but... A minus. I still think it's a good move because you get the best pitching staff in baseball, and everyone wants pitching. It's an A for me. I mean, I think the fits perfect. It's a win now move, but I think this Mets team is a win now team. I mean, you also want to win with Degrom. Like Degrom is not going to be this pitcher of a generation forever. So you obviously want to win now. I think it's up there with the best moves in Mets history. To be honest, Ooh, before he's even pitched an inning. Oh, wow. I, I, I'm in on Max Scherzer. How many Mets he's, moves are there to rank? 
I mean, they've made some pretty bad big moves. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, Carlos Beltran had like five all whatever. Uh, he's up there. I I think he's a guy that is going to come in here. You already look in spring training. He's pitching six innings right now. There's no one else in baseball pitching six innings. So he is going to come in and be the bulldog with DeGrom. And look, as long as they stay healthy, and that's I big if, especially with DeGrom, but as long as they too stay healthy, the Mets will be right in the thick of it. Jason Bay won Max Scherzer two for greatest moves. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's now go to, I think, the big fish, the one who signed very late. It's Carlos Correa, the 27-year-old, three years 105 to the Minnesota Twins, a team that no one was linking him to. He has opt-outs after the first two years. We've talked about this contract a few times, how the Yankees kind of enabled the Twins to get him. Andrew, I'll start with you. What do you rank Carlos Correa to the Minnesota Twins? It's kind of weird. I I think for Correa, I mean, maybe it's not that long-term deal that he wanted to, but I think it's a place where he can thrive, and there probably will be no, like, publicity on him I know the whole thing with the sign stealing and all that so he had a lot of stuff on him just over the last few years like no one's going to cover him in Minnesota so he's probably going to go there (laughs) be there for a year probably hit like 300 and then opt out and then hopefully get a big contract if you're Correa so for him I think it's a good deal I B plus a minus thing right there twins I I don't see them being I mean look it's a good player you want good players so I I think it's a good fit for them they needed a shortstop after that retooling that they did uh, you know, with the Yankees freeing up the cap. So I think it's a good move for them, too. I, I just don't know if it's really going to matter because they're not, to me, going to win the AL Central. And this is a team that probably won't be very good. So, you know, we'll just have to see kind of how it plays out. Yeah, for me, this move, I thought a lot about this move. I think what the general management did to move around the pieces to make this possible, I think was borderline on genius to trade Donaldson. Bring they got some, better. Bring in Urshela yeah. and Gary Sanchez and then you make the big splash on Crea. I love everything about that. For What's holding back me on this move and why I'm going to give it a B is because B's a good grade. If you get a B in college, you're like, listen, <laughs> I'm not going to look at this ever again, but I'll forget about it. I think it's a B because they're not going to win. Exactly. Not, it's like- they are fit, and it's about winning. At the end of the day, you make signings to win. Last place in the AL Central. And the AL, I mean, it's the AL Central. We're not talking about the AL East. And you don't have the pitching. Carlos Correa can't step on the mound and pitch for you. And that's the bottom line. As much as Correa is an A-plus player, or A player probably, he's not the perfect fit for the Twins. I think if the Yanks bring him in, it's an A signing. But for me, it's a B. So I'm going to give it the A. I think you guys made fantastic points. But I look at it just from their perspective, a smaller market team to be able to get the 1A guy in free agency, at least from a hitting perspective, I think that's a great thing for baseball. Regardless, they won't get if he gets hurt, they won't get destroyed with you know the opt outs and everything like that. If he rakes, then he gets another payday, so it's good for him. The one thing I'll say is, if they're not winning, I don't expect them to necessarily win. Trade him to the deadline, that's get it. prospects back, and you got a half season of Carlos Correa. You showed willingness to spend money, well, so you could see them trading Correa. At the oh, deadline. I can so yes. see that. Yeah. Uh, if a team is willing the, to pony up big money, oh, I the think thing, someone will. The thing yeah. for me is just the opt outs. If you know they don't make a move at the deadline, he can opt out. I, I mean, think about it like this: if they're going nowhere and he expresses to the team, "I'm going to opt out. I'm not resigning." Why would they not trade him for some good prospects? It's, it's a good point. My thing with that is if you're Correa, why would you go to the Twins when you could have probably had your choice on a team? And now yeah. you're going to put your hands in the club to trade you somewhere you might not know if you want to be. And we'll never know what his market was, and I think that— Well, I think that, that just—I know we're kind of getting sidetracked, but I think it adds to the head-scratching deal for Correa. You know, 
a short-term deal and a lot of He just got Boris client. He like, that's what He could have gotten long-term deals, a lot of security on it, and he chooses for this. It's an interesting move, but I do agree with the point you made. Good for small markets team to bring in a big-name guy like that. It's good for the league. Yeah, and let's move on. Speak, speaking of small market teams, how about Freddie Freeman of the Dodgers, guys? <laughs> the smallest market club in baseball. <laughs> so six years, 162 for Freddie Freeman. The Braves end up going for the younger Matt Olson, four years younger. The Dodgers, they spend yet again on a 32-year-old Freddie Freeman, the MVP in the 2020 season. They're loaded. What do we think of this move? Well, I'll go first here. Born and raised in California, Freddie Freeman. I like the move for him, for his family. He goes out there. He plays for the Dodgers. You know, a lot of history to that ball club. And, you know, he gets six years, which I think is good for him. Uh, I know he probably could have maybe got an eight, maybe somewhere else. He's 32, but... That would have been a lot of years. you got to be happy with the six you get. And you're going to be a contending for a World Series right away. For the Dodgers, it's a killer move. Great defensive first baseman, and he's a former MVP. So I love the move. Freddie Fruman, absolute A-plus move for me. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, the Dodgers, they always make these moves where they just get the cherry on top just to you know give a little middle finger to baseball. That's what it just seems like it yeah. is at this point. Uh, but he, great move both sides for them. But really, a, not, not a good look for the defending champions with the Braves. I mean, yes, you go for Olsen. Olsen's a great player. First of all, going to the A's. I, I never know players that leave the A's. You never know what's happening with them, just with the analytics. And, and there's a reason right. that, uh, you know, you, you never know why they get good guys to play, you know, up to the level they do. But so for them, it's just it's an awful look. Like if I was a Mets fan and they won a World Series with David Wright after he had a career year and they traded or they let David Wright walk, I'd be furious. So really bad look for the Braves, but it's almost like a wash. I'm happy I don't have to see Freddie Freeman ever again because he haunted me in my sleep, I will say. I mean, Mets are contending, Dodgers are contending. There's a chance down the line. I'll I'll get that. I'll get there when, you know, that that happens. I'd love a Dodgers. What's the grade? uh, Oh, it's it's an A. A A for for the Dodgers, A for Freeman, uh, you know, D for the, the Braves. So I think the other thing with the Braves is they traded their 1, 2, 4, and 12 prospects, something insane. Yeah, for Matt Olson. So, like, yeah, they opt- and they gave him a big deal. Yeah, they opt for the four years younger. And Freddie Freeman, there's overkill. Then there's the Los Angeles Dodgers. They will spend. They will find ways to pay guys. It's phenomenal. I'll give it an A two, one forty two OPS plus the last three years. Only thing from an A plus is they just have to win. I think. Um, but you know he's a guy like you're gonna push Gavin Lux to the bench now. <laughs> Cody Bellinger to the bench. I know he struggled in the spring, but like the, the problems the Dodgers have are ones 29 other clubs would dream of in terms of the lineup flexibility that they have. And let's move on now to the guy that the Dodgers let walk this offseason, Corey Seager. 10 years, $325 million to the Texas Rangers. The Rangers came out this offseason. They spent guys over $500 million committed to the payroll over the next 10 years. That is how long Corey Seager will be a Ranger. The one thing for me, and I, I look at this move, and I'll, I'll kick us off here. Since 2017, just 100 games played once. So there's legitimate injury concerns you cannot deny. Now, when he's on the field, the 131 OPS plus, you can't deny it. It's about getting him healthy. But I also look at the Rangers choosing to unload on a second and shortstop Marcus Simeon also joining the team. This rotation is bad. Like, this is bottom five in baseball, bad. John Gray is their ace who they signed then you really Martin Perez or Dean Dunning like like what like this this rotation is going to lose them a ton of games so I don't know if I would have committed all that payroll and not addressed the rotation the way they did Corey Seager we've talked about it that lefty perfect fit for the Yankees 
everything like that. He's young enough to where the 10 years works age-wise. I'll give it a B-minus just because the Rangers, I don't know if I agree with the philosophy of how they built this team through their middle infield and then not addressing the rotation. But for Corey Seager, fantastic deal for him to get the 10 325 when Correa kind of got spurned. I think fantastic, good for Corey. So B minus for me on this move. Yeah, I'm going to go B minus as well. Uh, I was going to give it a B, and then I thought in my head, wow, I just gave Carlos Correa to the Twins a B. I'm going to give Corey Seager <laughs> yeah. to the Rangers. The same grade. Ryan, you said it perfectly. Just staying on the field is the big problem with Seager. The thing for me is that you're the Rangers. We know how bad you are as a team right now. To make a splashing splash signing like this, and you have a guy for 10 years locked, if he really stays healthy, he's probably a top five shortstop maybe in baseball. I think if he stays healthy, big if there. So I don't hate the move. This team just needs to start picking up some assets. They need to build up the rest of the team, and you already put the shortstop position away, and now you can focus on other things. It's not a win-now move, which I think if you compare it to the Correa, that's a win-now move when you're the Twins. This is a long-term 10-year move you have with uh, Seager, and you're looking to be a playoff team in three, four years. So for me, it's not all the way bad, which is why it's still above the the Cs, but I also give it a B- because – you know, it's not like Seager's a you know a grand slam signing. He's got some problems. You know, I there's no way Seager's making this deal for. He's not staying on the. So I was going to ask. There's no way. <laughs> Does he finish his contract? No, with the Rangers? There, there well, well, no way. I, I'm not familiar of the opt outs of this deal. I've not looked. It's there just that they trade him to it. Yeah, team I mean, I just think they're yeah. going to trade him because this is going to blow up in the Rangers' faces because they have no pitching and this team. I just don't have any kind of you know faith in them. And Ryan, you said the rotation. It's it's very very bad. So I, I don't think he makes this, you know, this deal, and I don't think he gets relatively close, to be honest. Uh, but you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I I agree. I like if I was gonna build my team, I'd build it through the rotation, and then you know, you kind of then piece through the hitting. But like that's just not the way the Rangers are gonna do it. So it's just, I don't agree with it. So I, I agree with you guys in that B minus range. So. I mean, look, great deal for Seager. He oh, gets ten years. B B minus is across the board. Yeah, that that's okay. yeah. I I I think it's right around there. So, so we'll see what happens. So we have a few more here, three more to wrap up. We are still no one in the seas. How about that? The next guy, Trevor Story. You know, he leaves the Colorado Rockies. I feel I feel for their fans the way that was handled because it was inevitable all year <laughs> they wouldn't resign him. They don't even trade him at the deadline to a contender. Let him kind of play it out. He had a rocky up and down year with the Rockies, but the um, you know the Red Sox come in, we're nearing spring training, they've been very quiet this offseason, they give the 29-year-old 6 for 140, what are our thoughts on this one? You want to go, go Yeah, first? like, I think it's a great deal for the Red Sox, because I, I think what the Red Sox are thinking of doing, I don't know if they're going to re-sign Bogarts, or, or they're not going to re-sign Devers, I think they're only going to get one of those, so I think Seaver is going to make a slot in you going to pay three middle one fee, like, yeah, You can't, so you're going to, you're obviously going to, you know, you're not going to give one of them a huge deal which is, you know, we'll see who that is. So if you're going to – look, you have one year where you have all three, and you're probably going to be a World Series contender. This team is in the ALCS. And then after that, you know, you're going to set yourself up to have two out of the three, which is still, I mean, an amazing infield, depending on how that works out, uh, you know, w- w- with who they pay, who they don't pay. But, see, uh, Story's a guy, like, his numbers outside of cores are, are still good, but that always worries me with the Colorado stuff. You don't know how that affects a player, so – I think it's a great move for them. I'd give it, you know, an A. I'm gonna go an A just because wow. I think I think it's also a good. High I me. I think it's gonna be good for the Red Sox. Like I I think the Red Sox with you know Heim Bloom. I think that they're a really well run front office. I think this team is probably gonna flirt with the World Series w- w- within the next few seasons. 
So I, I think it's actually, you know, a great deal. I think uh, Story's a great player. And only five, six years is not that big of a deal compared to we just talked about Corey Seager getting 10. So maybe it's just because I'm not that decisive uh, that I'm giving a lot of these around the middle. But I'm going to go another B here. I like Story because I think that, you know, he's a solid baseball player. His splits aren't as bad as you've mentioned as some Colorado Rockies in the past. Not like a Todd Helton or some of these guys who have really big time splits like Tulowitzki. Uh, but I also like the the field. Fenway, favorable for a righty with the green monster and left. So um, I, I, I do like what uh, he could bring there. My huge problem with the deal is that he's a great defensive shortstop. A team should have brought him in to be their shortstop. He's going to be playing second base in Boston. And for me, it's the defense that makes him a signing that I want to I want to have him on my team. And as a second baseman with those high strikeout numbers, and then you have to worry about the splits, taking him out of cores, you know, I think there are some questions about the signing. So I'm a bit mixed, and I like how the Red Sox are contenders and they add a bat. So that always helps. Uh, I'm going to stick with my B. It's a good move. Uh, I don't think it's a great move. First off, I want to say I would love to take a class that Andrew Glad is teaching in with these generous grades here given out in A <laughs> for this move. But we went A, B. How about C? Easy as one, two, three. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not really a fan of this move. You guys mentioned the home and away splits last year, 203 on the road, 292 on base percentage. You also factor in what Mike said, a great point. You lose a lot of value when you move him to second. Andrew, you mentioned now you're not going to pay Devers or Bogarts. Well, I think that both are better hitters than Trevor Story. I would rather pay those guys. I also look at the Red Sox rotation. I would have allocated more funds, more resources to that rotation this year. You look right now, Chris Sales hurt. Nick Pavetta is your 2-3 to three starter. Your 4-5, and five, Michael Waka, who had a 5-year-A with the Rays. That's the Rays who developed pitchers better than anyone. And then 42-year-old Rich Hill, who you were a little familiar with last <laughs> year. But, but there's a lot of questions in that rotation. I think that lineup is stacked, let me say that. The Boston Red Sox will be in the playoffs at the end of the day, but we talk about this is a team we expect to flirt with the World Series. I don't think this is a move when you factor in him having to move positions. You lose the great defense at short. He's a better defender than Xander Bogarts. You factor in the road splits, and you factor in how they didn't address the rotation. I give it a C. I'm not a big fan of this move whatsoever. Let's move on now, though. We have two more remaining. Javi Baez, the former Met, just like Rich Hill. Six for 140. This was a pre-lockout move. It's one that, I'll be honest, I kind of forgot about just a little bit because of the time off, everything like that. But I look, he's a 12 war over the last three years. That's fourth best among shortstops. It's ahead of Lindor. It's ahead of Seager. He's a great defender. But then you can't ignore the strikeouts without the walks. 28 walks last year. Led the NL in Ks. Now he does give them juice. He gives them a spark. This is a team that, you know, the Detroit Tigers, right? We're not talking about the Detroit Tigers many times on this podcast, but I'll go C+. The 23 mil AAV isn't going to destroy them long term, but I think factoring a lot of the bad, I worry about how he'll age, so I'll go C+, on the steal. Yeah, I'm headed to the Cs as well. I've never been a huge fan of uh, Javi Baez. I think it was easy to fall in love with him when he had that, you know, one remarkable uh, season when he finished second in the MVP voting um, all the way back in 2018. But he was great as a Met. I think he did, he was he did a phenomenal yeah. job as a Met, considering he had 299 and you know with Chicago was hitting 248 that season. But 
still led the MLB in strikeouts, and like you said, Ryan, doesn't walk enough to make up for those strikeouts. The defense is amazing, we know that, but aren't the Tigers in any position to win with this move? I don't think so, so headed to the C's. I'm going C+, and you know, if Baez can maybe turn back the clock to 2018 and add some life to this Tigers team, it's a pretty open division, which may, probably makes me thinking, you know, it's not all the way bad or like a CSC minus. There is a chance they can sneak in to, to win this division, but the White Sox still are the kings in the AL Central. So until that changes, the Tigers aren't going to probably make any uh, make any moves in the in the division. So for me, it's a C plus, uh, not the best move. I, this is, I think, the worst move that we've talked about so far. Javi Baez, I mean, I saw him firsthand. That guy strikes out so, so much. He's the <laughs> biggest one for four, three strikeouts, and that one home run. He'll hit a home run. It'll be like 7-1 to make it 7-2. to two. Like, his stats, you know, if you watch him day to day, his stats look a lot better. And I was surprised that he, you know, I looked at the end of the season, he was hitting 300. I was like, this guy does not feel like he hit 300 for the Mets. Uh, he, he's a guy that strikes out a ton. His defense, it's flashy. I wouldn't say that it's also like this amazing shortstop. That's he makes a ton fair. of errors. So he's a guy that it sometimes doesn't make the easy play. I've seen, you know, so for the Mets, I was like, I was fine that the Mets didn't sign him at 140. I think it was an overpay. Yeah. And the Tigers, another team that I mean, who knows? They're obviously trying to get out of a rebuild now. Uh, they spend money, so I guess good for them. I just think it's on the wrong guy. So I'm right around that C minus, even go into the D's. I don't think this is going to be a good move. An- another guy that I think probably won't make it the full six years in Detroit. So D plus, am I hearing? Yeah. So I take that back what I said about wanting Professor Galata. Exactly. He's a little harsh here well, on the back end. If he likes it, he's going to give you a nice grade. Yeah. <laughs> you strike out too much, you're in the D's. Okay. So let's wrap up here with one. This was the shocker to me. It's the Colorado Rockies going seven for 182. <laughs> With Chris Bryant is a Rockies team. They finished 32 and a half games out of first place. Does Chris Bryant move the needle enough for them? This is a team that they paid Nolan Arenado, then quickly pivoted. They would not pay Trevor Story, their own homegrown guys, but Chris Bryant, he's 30. He's the guy they identify, I guess, to give him seven years. We talk about Andrew. Can you see him finishing out this deal? No shot. No, there's no way. Not a chance is Chris Bryant playing seven years for the Colorado Rockies. I'd be willing to put everything, my reputation, on (laughs) that. So because of all this, I don't understand this move one bit for the Rockies. I think he'll hit fine because, of course, everything like that. I I do think if he plays all seven years here, stays healthy, with the elevation, he'll have an outside shot at the Hall of Fame, which for him, this deal made sense in that aspect. He already has the World Series, so I guess it makes sense for him. Get your bag, go wherever. But I'm going to give this move a D. Don't understand that one bit from the Rockies' perspective. Not paying their own guys, paying an older Chris Bryant. It doesn't make sense to me. I go D on this move. I agree. Yeah, I'm going to D plus. Like again, the Rockies just can't make up their mind. I mean, are they rebuilding? Or are they going for? It? And like, I mean, Arenado is the best player out of all those those guys we've been talking about. And they don't keep him. And then you give Bryant all this money. Good for Bryant. I mean, he's probably going to hit a ton in cores. And again, his stats will be inflated. And most likely they'll end up trading him to like a card. He's gonna be in the Cardinals in like three <laughs> years probably. Let's you know he'll be their next short or the next third baseman, but or left fielder because they'll have Arenado. Uh, but you know Bryant's a great hitter. I kind of wish the Mets got him. He was definitely like a guy that you know I'd circle for the Mets. But this fit just to me makes no sense for the Rockies. And the Rockies are just you know penciling themselves in for a nice seventy-five win season, so they don't look so so bad. You think they get that high though? I mean, we'll have to see. They're kind of always kind of right in that because they're they're so good I mean, at home. It wasn't that long ago they're in a wild card, uh, which is crazy. Yes, yeah. I mean, if I was like like an average hitter in the MLB, I would love to go to Coors. Yeah, well, like, I, I don't think, know why I, anyone everyone doesn't do it. Uh, um, Ryan, you bring up a really good point about Brian for the, for him. It's a really good move because if you didn't have the stock 
um, that he won in the offseason. He can get the money in Colorado, and he can probably build his resume up from just, you know, raking at Coors. Because he's already a World Series winner. Yeah, so I think he could rebuild his stock much like he did when he was traded to San Francisco. So for him and for those reasons, I don't think it's an awful move. And maybe if the Rockies are thinking, hey, listen, if Bryant really starts to hit and we can move him, and I don't know if a team's going to want to take on that type of deal, but if you want to move him a year or two into his contract when he's got, what, four or five years left, then it might make a little more sense. And if the Rockies aren't spending and they want to take a chance on Bryant to maybe raise his stock and then trade him for prospects, I could see maybe that being moved. I, I'm thinking, like, light years ahead and that, like, the – <laughs> the general managers of the Rockies are thinking like I am right now, but that's the only reason I'm going to give it a C minus. I think the whole time I've been even keel with my rankings, besides the A plus. Very, yeah, very. So I don't. I'm not going to fail the student, but listen, <laughs> you got to work for your grade. So that's I'm going to go C minus. And guys, I think that's going to just wrap up this segment. I had a ton of fun on this episode. Great, great, uh, yes. great show. What a start to the baseball season. Like, oh, th- this year is going to be so much fun. I think this is just as good as opening day. So if you're going to watch baseball, listen to this. This episode. podcast is just as good as opening day. I like that yes. feeling. So we're going to you know, sign off here from WFV Sports as the Nosebleeds is a production of WFUV Sports. Mm-hmm.